1: Hello and welcome to the game World Cup Daily from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer and thank you for joining us. We are here every match day of the World Cup podcasting after 10 o'clock UK time every night. In the studio with me, he is the stat man, Bill Edger. Matt Dickinson is on the line from St. Petersburg. Hello, Matt. Evening. Hello. Later on, we're going to be joined by Alison Rudd for a reaction on France's victory that saw them through to the last 16 and sent the Peruvians home. Shortly, we'll be talking about some England team news ahead of their meeting with Panama on Sunday. But we have to start with Croatia joining France in the knockout stages while Argentina stare elimination in the face. Yes, Argentina's hopes progressing in Russia are hanging in the balance after a 3-0, yes, that's 3-0 loss to Croatia. Matt's a heavy scoreline against Argentina who just looked so very ordinary this evening.
2: Yeah, well, I think even worse than ordinary, just ragged. I mean, uh, you know, defensively shambolic at at times. Um, They just looked like incredibly disjointed. Um, No one looked happy with the system. You know, the first game against Iceland, there was a sort of give it to Messi and hope. Um, And and this game, well, they, they barely even managed that in the second half. And it's, I, I guess we shouldn't be so shocked. I mean, uh, you know, they they did scrape qualification. Um, the sort of over reliance on Messi has been sort of well, you know, well uh, discussed coming into this tournament. It's not, it's you know, it's not as if um, this hadn't been a sort of trouble brewing. But I still think, you know, even even taking that into account, the the scale of the sort of shambles is, uh, is still pretty startling.
1: Yeah, you mentioned how disjointed they were. I mean, they just simply didn't seem to have a plan and were error strewn throughout that match.
2: Well, I think there's, I, I mean, I think there's been a lot of talk, and, and it made sense looking at this game that that he, you know, he's 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 known for as a as a, a superb coach with and and, and is name particularly with uh, that Chile team. But you know, he has a a strategy which just didn't suit the players, um, and they seem to be this court between so many different sort of styles and hopes and tactics um you know i i, I thought um Dabalessa made some good points watching the game about you know the wingbacks are actually wingers and they just look completely uncomfortable as soon as they were in retreat um you know I, I i think that he wanted you know generally he's associated with a sort of hard fast pressing game and they just simply didn't have the, the players for that and then you saw the change i mean they they go one down, and Aguero comes straight off. I mean, you know, Higuain is no no slouch when it comes to goal scoring, but it, you know that just struck me as a an odd move. There's it, 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 a lack of coherence about about the whole thing.
1: Bill, the main stars of Lionel Messi, Sergio Aguero, they seem to be so largely
3: anonymous out there in Nijni. The, the second half was extraordinary. That um, Argentina would lose the ball, and there would be no the, the Argentina. Uh, wouldn't suddenly kind of get back into any sort of shape there was no shape to the to them and there were just vast open spaces in the centre of the pitch that Modric and Rakitic were uh, lolloping through, you know, completely un unchecked, absolutely extraordinary and when, and when Argentina did, did go forward the, the player would say head up the wing and there'd be no no running off the ball to support him, it was, it was just absolutely uh, shambolic I think this will go down for Argentina as the equivalent of the Iceland defeat for England in 2016
1: it's as bad as that, do you say?
3: Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> and Matt, I know you've kind of already alluded to, to Lionel Messi and the fact that Argentina just don't have the creative players to help bring out his magic.
2: Well, they, they certainly should do. I mean, they, you know, their, their forward line is the envy of, of well, you know, in terms of just pure quality, should be the envy of, of pretty much everyone, maybe apart from Brazil. Um, but, you know, I, I, he's, he's looked... Out of sorts, um, because clearly there's a sort of lack of belief in. Uh, he's had a lack of belief in the system. I mean, I, I, I thought, in terms of body language, um, pretty much from the start. I think even from the sort of lineup of the players, you just looked at him and he he didn't look like a guy who was thinking, right, this is this is where we turn it around. Yeah, he look, um, he looked
1: like he kind of had the weight of the nation on his shoulders, didn't he?
2: Well, absolutely. You can understand how he feels it, and I think you know, obviously, if you've got a thriving um, system, then that helps to release the burden. And obviously, Brazil have gone to huge lengths to try and release that sort of uh, pressure on Neymar. Um, I mean, to Portugal rely colossally on Ronaldo, but the others seem to sort of, you know, have a functional jobs so that they they get about uh, enabling him to, to to do his bit and bring out the best of him. And, and there's a sort of mutual understanding there, shall we say, uh, with, with with Messi that just doesn't seem to exist. And um, It's uh, on the one hand shocking, on the other, you know, this has not been a team that's been functioning for for quite some time.
1: Uh, For all this talk of how bad Argentina were, Bill, how good were Croatia?
3: Yeah, they're very good. I mean, they're they're perfectly placed to take advantage of any uh, big team that's going to slip up. I I remember in... uh... Thinking back to 1998, they beat uh, Germany three nil. Germany were kind of on the way, and they capitalized. And it was very similar tonight. They just did uh, what they needed to do. I mean, it was uh, obviously they've got Modric and Rakitic in the centre of midfield. They both scored. It was a fantastic goal from Modric. So, so yeah, and they've now scored. Uh, Five goals without conceding in the World Cup so far. So after beating Nigeria two 0 as well, they're they're through with a game to spare. They can rest players, so it's all looking rosy for them.
1: But Matt, obviously they scored three goals, but we have to speak about that first goal and, and that howler from Willie Caballero. I mean, that is one that he will not forget for a very very long time.
2: Uh, absolutely, and uh, I mean, I guess you know he hasn't he hasn't played the games that he would have ho- hoped to, but but uh, even so, I mean, it's just yeah, it's. I mean, absolute clangor, on the other hand, is still a, a hell of a bloody volley. Um, the ball is teed up, but the connection is just fantastic. Um, yeah, so a clangor beautifully capitalised on, um, uh, but that, that really just set the tone for the, the whole Argentinian uh, night, really.
1: Well, we caught up earlier with Oliver Kay in the Nizhny Novgorod Stadium, who witnessed that incredible collapse by Argentina.
4: I just look at that Argentina team, and I don't even know what it's meant to be. It's a complete change of system, three changes in in personnel, but total change of system. Sam it has been a wonderful coach in many of the previous jobs he's done, but he he just doesn't seem to know what he's doing in this in this job, and that that is strange with with such a good coach, but it was interesting that in the post match press conference, the first question he was asked was was about the choice of goalkeeper. It wasn't about Messi, it was about the choice of Caballero and what Jones sent him. Why why did you pick Caballero? Why didn't you wait before naming the squad for, for for Sergio Romero to prove his fitness and I think that is a that's a big problem. It was a terrible mistake for a goalkeeper who also looked erratic on on Saturday against Iceland. But it's the whole team, the whole, the whole the defence was a mess, um the midfield was just totally second-rate, really, um, reliant on an ageing Mascarano. And Messi barely seemed to have the ball, and what well, he did, there was nothing moving around him. He didn't seem to be in the mood. We all saw him in the pre-match with roll he, he looked. He didn't look right, really, did he? he? He seemed to be agitated. He didn't seem calm. He didn't seem serene. It looks to me like he's feeling that burden um, incredibly heavily on his shoulders, and it's getting him down, and... and um, Somehow he needs to perform on, um, on Tuesday against Nigeria. Somehow he needs to, to get Argentina the win they, they desperately need. But even that might not be enough. It just went from bad to worse. Argentina, I thought, was a shambolic performance. And it, you know, they, they were punished by an extremely good close team who I think should be taken very seriously.
2: The game. World Cup Daily from The Times with Natalie Sawyer.
1: You can hear live commentary of all of Friday's games on TalkSport, including Brazil taking on Costa Rica at one o'clock, Nigeria versus Iceland at four, and the clash between Serbia and Switzerland live from seven o'clock on TalkSport. Okay, Matt, let's talk about a story that has broken from the England camp earlier on. The assistant manager, Steve Holland, was photographed with a sheet of paper in his hand that seemed to indicate the team for Panama on Sunday.
2: Uh, Well, it certainly gave us um, interesting clues. I mean, you know, I I think clearly there's a few days of training to go. You know, Gareth Southgate could change his mind. um, But, you know, it it basically um, came out with a sheet which had a sort of Obvious A team and an obvious B team written underneath it, and that indicated that Loftus Cheek would come in for Ali, which I I guess we would assume would be the obvious like-for-like change if if Ali is, as we suspect, not fit for the game or not to be risked for the game. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess more intriguingly, Rashford uh, ahead of Sterling um, in in support of Kane, which I, you know, I had actually thought was a good idea um, coming off the Tunisia match. Um, I think Sterling's movement has been good. I think he contributed to that really bright opening. But the fact is, uh, uh, we do still need some goal power aside from Harry Kane. And, and I would like to see Rashford given a run. Um, it's against Panama. We can expect to dominate possession. We expect to dominate territory. I think we'll... Certainly get more shots off um, with, uh, with with Rashford up front. I think his form looks decent. Um, his confidence looks high. I'm told in training he's been sharp. We saw that goal uh, in warm-up against Costa Rica. So we're not sure it's definite yet, but there is a pattern with, with Gareth Southgate that he wants the players to know and understand the team quite early. I think he feels just with a young group and especially on this World Cup stage that he just wants people to sort of You know, feel secure. Different managers have had different styles. Capello sometimes wouldn't even tell the players till a couple of hours before kickoff. But Gareth Southgate has sought to 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 do things a little differently. So if if that is the case, um, it's an an interesting tweak to the team. But one I actually. To uh, understand and
1: buy into the uh, Tunisia game, perhaps wasn't the best for uh, Raheem Sterling. Do you think another reason why uh, he may well be dropped is is his poor goal return? Uh, he hasn't scored what in 21 games now for England.
2: Well, I mean that statistic is you know there's no there's no escaping it. I mean you know I think he's played some good games for England. Um, I, you know I think he he say he he contributed certainly to the bright opening, but you know he also contributed that sort of. Very clunky miss where he seemed to potentially, to, to to, I think, sort of freeze a bit. He wasn't sure which foot to, to go with. I think it is a sign that he doesn't get the chances that he does with England uh, as he does with Man- Manchester City. I think he probably feels a bit inhibited playing with England because of that. I also think there's a, a slight sort of tr- you know reluctance to pull the trigger with with England that we've seen. You know, I saw that in the Nigeria warm-up game where he had two or three chances. And again, he he played well, but he couldn't get the shots off. And I, you know, for those reasons, particularly against a team um, like Panama, when playing England, will be looking for goals. I, I think that does add up to a, a certain logic to give Rashford a run.
1: Bill, are you
3: a, a fan of Rashford? Um, yes, I'm a big fan of Rashford. I, I I agree with Matt. I would probably stick him in ahead of Sterling. Although, of course, it will necessitate a, a slight change of. Uh, style, Sterling's part of the uh, attacking midfield group of players you have uh, impressed a lot with a short interpassing whereas with Rashford he'll be more of a direct runner but um, I think the, the problem of uh, goal scoring has, has been going on a long time at tournaments uh, it's overlooked at Euro 2016 given the a disaster against Iceland in the first knockout round that England actually played really well in all three group matches and just missed an absolute stack of chances. It started again against Tunisia this time. That They've got to sort it out, that they're creating plenty. And, of course, Rashford offers a bit more hope than Sterling, I guess, um, in terms of finishing off, because obviously Kane is brilliant, but they need somebody else to... uh, to do the finishing. Having said that, Rashford's only scored three in 19 appearances for England.
1: So, we're expecting Rashford to come and we're also expecting Loftus Cheek to replace the injured Deli Ali. And it seems as though Ali is in fine spirits still. As on his Instagram story, uh, you can see what's partly keeping the England camp amused. It is a book of the Times crossword. They've got good taste, those England boys. Uh, Matt, you're going to be off to uh, Brazil, Costa Rica Friday afternoon in St. Petersburg. So, uh, you're going to get to see the third member of the big three. World football Neymar, who providing he plays after his ankle issue in training, uh, will no doubt be looking to lead his side to what will be an important victory.
2: Yes, absolutely. And you know, they were my um, pre-tournament tips. So, I'm, uh, obviously, that's the most important issue for me is um, making sure I, my fiver is well placed. But no, I, I think you know, there are high hopes for Brazil, um, you know, in terms of you know, potential to go all the way. And obviously, given what happened four years ago to. Atone and avenge for that uh, for that nightmare on on their own soil. I, I think, you know, as we going back to the Argentina discussion, Tite, the coach, has done a, a, a one of the biggest challenges he had was actually weaning them off a Neymar dependence, um, because I think they felt that the pressure was was too great on him. And obviously, if he was missing games, you know, then suddenly psychologically that that would become an issue. And you know, players like Coutinho scored that fantastic goal. Amino, Gabriel Jesus—you know—they're not exactly lacking uh, in, in firepower. But I, I, I think, like a lot of big teams, they started a little slowly. Well-organized teams um, have managed to, to make it make it hard work for, for some of these favourites, and that's that's been part of the the joy, um, early joy of the tournament.
0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit JDPower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or SleepNumber.com.
5: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy.
1: France are through to the last 16 after beating Peru 1-0. And as a result, the South American side have been eliminated. Alison Rudd joins us now. And Alison, you were with the French camp earlier in this tournament. You saw their performance against Australia. So how different, if at all, were they this time around? It was different. They
6: haven't solved all their problems. Um, I would argue nobody would want to meet France in the knockout stages. There's this thing at the World Cup where some teams tend to start in a confused manner, and they look like they're in slight disarray, but they grow with the tournament. And if you've got the basis of of the amount of flair players that France have got, you've got to say that's starting at a low base, but you, you know they're going to grow. And I think, in a sense, you could say the best teams don't do their best stuff at the start of a tournament anyway. You grow into it. You learn, as they did against Australia, Australia were the better team. I gave the star man to Trent Sainsbury even though Australia lost that game and very few people have probably heard of him really other than the fact it's a great name to have a new sticker album. But <laughs> they, they've they learnt from that. Their, their presser after the Australia game you'd think you'd landed in a room where fans had lost, not got three points. Didier Deschamps admitted things needed to be better. The players spoke out and said they were not all on the same page. They were they were playing different matches, different tactics. They, they weren't a group together. These are, these are dreadful things to be saying when you're already at the World Cup. These are things you should iron out earlier. So it was really interesting to me to see how they would cope against Peru. And um, they Deschamps made changes that were necessary. And he started with Olivier Giroud. Uh, you might say it's obvious, I would say. Not necessarily obvious, but it was a masterstroke. He gave France a focal point there's been concern amongst the strikers that they were all bumping into each other and uh, having sort of three three bustling around just didn't work. Um, so dropping Dembele and bringing in Giroud just made him the focal point, as I say. He held the ball up well. He's so good in the air. He made quite a few lovely sort of cushioned headers. He brought the scampering players into play. So there was more balance in the team in that sense. I think France, while they've not nowhere near, near hit the heights that they can given the personnel they have, they were much better than they were against Australia. And the fact that there is room for improvement, I think, means that while tonight you know people are gushing about Croatia, I think people should see France. Yes,
1: yeah, two wins out of two now for France, and if they were to win the group, Alison, they'll face the second team from Group D, and I know. Already, we've spoken about Argentina and how they're pretty average at the moment, but that could well end up being Argentina. Um,
6: no, it's going to be Croatia and Iceland in that group. I can't do it. You're, Iceland are going to beat Nigeria. You're
1: waving the Iceland flag again, aren't you? <laughs> I'm
6: not going to stop now after that. Um, no. Um, regardless of whether it is, actually, it makes a huge difference to whether it's Aysen, Beraja, I should imagine, but they have to solve a few few extra things regardless who their opponents are because I think Griezmann's mm-hmm. a worry. It's the second game on the trot. He's come off in the second half, not to rest him, but because he was fading and it's like mystery why it's not quite gelling for him. He starts brightly and then, just seems to get disappointed with himself more than anything. But I just just want to go out on a limb and say I think it will be Iceland is finished second
1: in Group D. -hmm. Uh, Alison, keeping the Iceland thunderclap going, Rudd, thank you very much.
2: The Game. World Cup Daily from The Times with Natalie Sawyer.
1: Every day we've been asking you a Times trivia teaser as provided by Bill Edgar, who is sat opposite me. And uh, last time out, we asked, who is the only player to have scored a higher number of goals than his shirt number at a World Cup? I really struggled with this one, Bill. So what is the answer?
3: The answer is the great Hungarian Sandor Kopsis, who in 1954 scored 11 goals while wearing the number eight shirt. So three more goals than his shirt number.
1: Okay, but hang on a second, because a lot of people have suggested it was Jus Fontaine who'd scored 13 goals for France in 1958. So why is it not him?
3: Well, you might have thought so, given the... Uh propensity to wear shirt numbers 1 to 11 more more often then but, but no he was actually wearing number 17 so uh, he got 13 but he was still 4 short of that number
1: oh curses you've done it again Bill it's a good one thank you very much for that uh, Bill's teaser for today's podcast which Italian defender missed the finals of both the Champions League and World Cup in 1994 because of suspension tune in to our next podcast to find out the answer Serbia take on Switzerland on Friday night in Kaliningrad. Perhaps not the sexiest fixture on paper, but there is quite the political backdrop to this match. Alan Smith has written about this for The Times and uh, joins us now. Uh, Alan, good to uh, hear from you. The issue here has to do with relations, doesn't it, between Serbia and Kosovo and the trio of Swiss players with Kosovan roots.
7: Yeah so uh, it, it dates back really until uh, back as far as the the day the the draw for the finals was made when uh, Jaden Shakiri, Swiss midfielder who was actually born in Kosovo emigrated to Switzerland as a as an infant and uh, put a post on Instagram saying hmm, I like this draw um, which was taken quite seriously as a provocation in in Serbia um obviously Serbians don't don't recognize Kosovo as a as an independent state they believe it's a territory which should technically belong to them. Uh, it's quite a complex case and Serbian media have, been, have um, been building this up all week as being, you know, we're going to be provoked by these three Swiss players. Um, another added layer to it is that last week um, Alexander Mitrovic, the Newcastle striker who obviously Serbia forward sort of questioned why Shakiri refused to switch allegiance towards Kosovo two years ago. So among all of that, it's sort of the build-up has been quite one-sided in that. In Serbia, they're saying we're going to be provoked, whereas in Switzerland, very little has been made of it all.
1: Yeah. So it's it's Shakiri and also Granite Jaka and Valon Barami, who are the yeah. three players concerned.
7: Yeah. Um, Barami and
1: Jaka, um,
7: both of their parents had been persecuted while living while living in Kosovo. Um, both actually born in Switzerland after their parents had had, had moved there. Um, Both quite closely connected in Kosovo. They tweet in Albanian, they speak to each other's family, they speak to to their families in Albanian, very much identify themselves as being Kosovan and Swiss, um, which again has sort of whipped up this frenzy in Serbia where certain tabloids have said, Tomorrow we're playing. We're, we're playing Kosovo. It's just under a Swiss flag, even though it's only going to be three of the players. Um, again, very much, it's a case of in Serbia, it's being treated as quite a quite a big rivalry. Whereas Switzerland, not much has been has been made of it, apart from the three players who obviously are going to have possibly an added added incentive when when they go into the game tomorrow night.
1: You've mentioned how, how Shakira made that post on social media. He also, on his boots, has what the Swiss flag on one, the Kosovan flag on the other. So do you feel he could be potentially targeted more than anybody else uh, when uh, Swi- Switzerland take on Serbia?
7: Well, the interesting thing is that he, he's actually had the Kosovan flag on his right boot for a number of years. Um, four years ago when Switzerland played in the World Cup, it was there. He also had the Albanian flag on his boots for, for a while, but that, that has now disappeared. And... Um, the Serbian team, from from what they've been saying in the build-up to the game, is that they feel like they're the ones that are being provoked, rather than <laughs> um, what everybody else we, would imagine. Serbians targeting Shakiri for for having having the flag on his boots. Um, so it's kind of it's been spun swal- it's been spun in sort of the opposite way that anybody who reads the story in, in tomorrow's paper will, will will imagine it to be.
1: Well, Alan, you're going to be joining us on a Friday night where we're going to be reacting and looking out for any incident in that Switzerland-Serbia match. So uh, thank you for now.
7: Thank you very much.
1: Denmark and Australia played out a one-all draw, but it was a game marred by controversy after a VAR penalty was given to the Socceroos. So let's get straight to that penalty talking point. Play briefly continued before the referee consulted with VAR. Uh, In the end, it was decided that Yusuf Poulsen did handle the ball and Mile Yadnak then
3: scored the spot kick for
1: Australia. So, Bill, what did you make of it all?
3: Looking at the incident alone, uh, I think it would usually be given as a penalty because Paulson had his hand uh, far enough away from his body to uh, to be in an unnatural position, as they say. It wasn't wasn't next to his body, wasn't close to his body. Um, it, it wasn't a deliberate handball because the ball came at him too quickly, um, but. Uh, But as I say, I would give a penalty. Now, the referee didn't give a penalty, and for uh, the VAR people, they would have to uh, recommend to the referee that he looks at it again if they think it was a clear and obvious mistake. So I guess something like 9 out of 10 referees would would give it as a penalty, or 19 out of 20 or something. That's a bit of a stretch, I would say. I would be slightly surprised they... They were so sure that they, they would gave it that definition as a clear and obvious mistake, uh though I would say usually it would be given if the referee could see it though often with handballs much more than other offenses in the penalty area, they're not given um because it's it's harder to see i think ultimately, I think the decision was right, but the the way it he got there i wasn't quite sure about.
1: I mean, this is the beauty of VAR. It sparked such a huge debate. Uh, even ITV's panel of Enia Luko and Slaven Bilic disagreed with Martin O'Neill over it. The Republic of Ireland manager very much believing it wasn't a penalty and it was a harsh decision. Uh, Mark Clattenburg even said it wasn't a penalty a, a, as well. And for what it's worth, I also thought it wasn't a penalty because I don't think Paulson could do much about it. But this just goes to highlight that these judgments are just about one person's opinion and confusion still reigns over all of this.
3: It does, yes. I've been wondering if, uh, given that uh, a clear and obvious mistake, the definition must be something like 19 out of 20 referees would give it as a penalty for the World Cup, let's just wheel in 20 referees or 10 or something. And if if nine or 10 press the yes button for the penalty, say, okay, it is a penalty, rather than have this team of three VARs all thinking now, would most referees or would nine out of 10 give it? Just get 10 referees in and press a button.
1: I do like the idea of the buzzer, kind of like Britain's Got Talent meets the World Cup. Could be quite intriguing if they'd have a golden buzzer as well. The result means Denmark need a point in their final Group C match against France to be certain of reaching the knockout stage, while Australia can still qualify but must beat Peru to have any hope of extending their stay in Russia. Uh, Looking ahead to Friday, Bill, we've already spoken about Brazil against Costa Rica and Serbia versus Switzerland. The other fixture is Nigeria versus Iceland in Group D at four o'clock. Nigeria know if they lose, they are out, and they'll be taking on the hard-working Icelandics, who of course shot the world with their draw against Argentina.
3: Yeah, they did. Yeah, and um, we we all like to look at statistics that underlines how small a place Iceland is. Well, given that Nigeria's uh, population is rising by five million a year, it's nearly two hundred million. Nigeria's population will rise by the equivalent of Iceland's population in the in the space of twenty six days. So less than the course of the World Cup, uh, Nigeria will, will create its own Iceland in twenty six days. So that that's the the size of the task facing Iceland uh, in one sense, but uh, you would certainly think they've got a, a decent chance given how well they did against Argentina. They, they certainly they maximise uh, what they've got. A lot has been said about how Iceland's Improvement has come over the last 15 years and they they built so many uh, uh, indoor pitches. Looking back over the, um, the the players who were with Iceland, uh, say, 15 years ago, there were more players in the Premier League at the time. You had uh, the likes of Goodney Bergson at Bolton and once of Tottenham, Ida Goodjohnson at Chelsea, Hermana O'Ridersen at Wimbledon. This is all around the year 2000. Uh, Heide Helgeson at Watford, Arna Goodlaugson. Bolton and Leicester, um, a whole whole crowd of them, probably almost more uh, individual talent you'd say than now. So I think that what really stands out, how how well they've done here, and also uh, at Euro 2016 and qualifying for both tournaments, is just the tactical setup. That's what's got them this far plus a little bit of luck of course along the way
1: I tell you he'll be wearing the Icelandic face paint on Friday Alison Rudd Uh, that's it for now many thanks to my guests today Bill Edgar Alan Smith Alison Rudd and Matt Dickinson subscribe to the Times and the Sunday Times to enjoy award winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet for a limited time only it is just a pound a month for your first three months search the Times sale for more information don't forget to rate review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your Preferred podcast supplier. We'll be back on Friday as Brazil search for their first victory of this World Cup. See you then.
3: The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.